Hello, and welcome to the Nauticast podcast, a podcast that usually goes through a song of ice and fire one chapter a week, but not here. I'm one of your hosts, Emmett, better known as Poor Quentin. My co-host, Jeff, better known as Brendan Beefish, is taking a couple months off the podcast for work. As soon as he's back, which is going to be in uh, late July, we will resume the weekly A Song of Ice and Fire podcast with A Storm of Swords. In the meantime, I'm recording weekly episodes with a rotating series of guest hosts, as well as doing some audio and text posts of my own. And I'm happy to welcome back uh, my guest for this week, Mihal. Thank you so much for uh, coming back on the Nauticast. Hey, my pleasure. So uh, we're going to be talking today about Littlefinger and about uh, anti-Semitic stereotypes that we've seen crop up in stories and how Jewish representation works or doesn't work in A Song of Ice and Fire. Before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you what I've been asking a lot of guests on the podcast while Jeff is away. How did you first get into A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones? Um, Well, that was a journey um, a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) Basically, um, my my younger sister um, led me through kind of the the typical fantasy um, experience. Like we started with Harry Potter and then she read um, Tad Williams Mm -hmm. and then that led to Wheel of Time, which I also read. And then... You know, the, uh, when you when you found you know certain online communities, it was sort of like, what should I read next? And the obvious answer was Game of Thrones. Um, this was about two thousand three, two thousand four. Uh, so we were both in high school, and she was like, "You have to read this. You absolutely have to read this." But it's really sad, and people die. <laughs> Fair warning. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I don't want to read it." <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly why I agreed, but like, it was definitely with like a hefty amount of spoilers. So like, I knew about Lady, I knew about, I actually have a vivid memory of my sister reading Ned's Beheading for the first time, which is really funny because she like ran up from the basement and was like, (laughs) he just killed the main character. And I was like, it's against the rules. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But yeah, that was, that was kind of the journey. It was, um, I took, I took... A sizable break mm-hmm. from the fandom for a couple of years, and then kind of around the time that, like, just before I, I call myself, by the way, I, I congratulate myself for Dance being released because I did a reread um, for the first time in a very long time. Uh, and then, like, literally, like, a week later, it was like, Dance is coming out. And I was like, ah, you're welcome. <laughs> George knew he had to keep up. He knew you were going to be done soon. He was going to be in trouble. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't done a full reread since then, but, you know. If I do, maybe it'll help. I don't know. <laughs> right? You're going to make winds come out. That would be amazing. Yes. <laughs> I, read him, I read him around the same time, actually, right in the lead up to Feast, right around the 04, 05, yeah. I think. And then went through the long uh, wait for dance. So uh, certainly got used to got used to waiting for the rest of the series for them. And then, so were you were you uh, excited or, or trepidatious or both when, when Game of Thrones started to be a thing? I was really excited. Um Again, that's one of those random things. Like, I remember being on my phone in, like, a class in, in college mm-hmm. and, like, seeing, like, Game of Thrones, George R. R. Martin, greenlit thing, and nobody knew what it was. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be huge. I think the pilot script had even come out at some point. Like, I, and I and I, I scrolled through that and searched for – word search for Sansa, and there was, like, almost nothing in there. <laughs> of course. I was like, well, okay. I still have very mixed feelings about the show. I think there are truly some wonderful things. The way it's expanded the fandom and Martin's reach as a as a pop culture figure, I don't think can be disputed. Like we are richer as a fandom for for it. Just full stop. Yeah, I mean it's it's 
there's there's no going back in some ways, you know, obviously. And so that's uh, that's interesting to think about in terms of how the, that, that larger fandom will then incorporate wins if we're ever lucky enough to get it. Yeah. But uh, so moving to what we uh, want to talk about today. So obviously, you know, nothing is, is one to one when you talk about representation in a fantasy world. Authors are always remixing things and taking historical things and putting them together with stuff that's just out of the, the depths of their own imagination. But one uh, something that I think stands out to some people when they read A Song of Ice and Fire is that there, there does not seem to be much of an equivalent to, to Jewish people or to, to Judaism as a religion. Do you think that's fair? Or do you think that's overly broad, a blanket statement? No, I do think that's fair. I, I remember my ears perking up, I think, back when um, Rulorism was introduced, because that has, like, kind of shades of monotheism. Um, and then I was like, nah, this is Zoroastrianism. <laughs> yeah, right. And, you know, there's some there's some similarities, but, like, it... Yeah, there just isn't isn't much. Uh, I don't think practical comparison. Cer- certainly not with like classic stereotypes from Western culture. Right, and part of it is I remember when I was first hearing about this and do- did just a, a little research. And so much of uh, the era that George is drawing from is the War of the Roses and the Hundred Years' War. And there was there was the Edict of Expulsion in England around that time when, when Jews were being kicked out of the country en masse. And so maybe just a lot of his sources just don't like – just don't incorporate Jewish people. Um, and so that's – that kind of that has kind of translated over to his writing. Yeah, I remember – yeah, that, that – Elements of Rallor where it's bringing bringing in some aspect of monotheism, but the, the yeah the specifics of Melisandre's beliefs make it clear that, that that George is drawing from elsewhere. Do you think that this is a deliberate decision on George's part? Like if you forced him into a chair and had him talk about it, what what do you, you know? Do you think he is is it just because of the historical era? I mean, because he's made because you can. I was talking about this on a recent episode with Alex about how he seems to have realized halfway through the series that the Dornish should be more important than they are right. <laughs> and, have, and have started writing them more. So, but I mean, but we haven't really seen that here. So do you, what, do, what do you think about George's perspective on this? If you had to guess, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say that like something that isn't natural to the world, you know, I guess needs to be there. Mm-hmm. The, the, the strongest, I guess what I bump up against the most is the like very strong parallels to real world religion with the faith of the seven. And that's just like, I mean, it's overwhelming. Like you can't, you know, even, even a first time reader will, will, will get that. <laughs> um, all respect oh, sure. and love to some first time readers. <laughs> of course. No, that, that that's supposed to stand out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, I guess I somewhat miss the contrast, but I also don't know that like, that's I don't oh man I don't know it is it's so interesting especially as like the world has gotten bigger and we have the world book and everything like that like you know to me it feels somewhat not intentional but present as an absence but Mm, that could just be my perspective do you know what I mean I mean he grew up in New Jersey so like I'm you know he's not like unfamiliar with our people, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. Almost like, yeah, like a structuring absence at this point. Yeah. It does. It does kind of feel like that. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's driven by, by animus on George's part. Um, it is interesting though. Yeah. The faith is an interesting comparison. Cause that's, that's, that's George working through a lot of things. He thinks about Catholicism and that's the soup he swam in as a kid. That's something he knows best. And so 
I mean, yeah, I always get, and I was talking about this some with Alex too. I always, you know, it's, you can always flop back and forth between that he's leaving people out, but would he write it well? Is it something he's familiar with? Then again, as you say, it's, this is not exactly a foreign concept growing, growing up to him in New Jersey at that time. I definitely agree. There's, there's, I don't think there's any animus. I don't think there's any deliberate anti-Semitism. I think even in, even in stories where the parallels are a lot clearer, um, a lot of it is just frankly, you know, centuries of coding and things being worked into stories, you know, like I, I, I actually, um, I have a, a book, a, a young, um, middle grade book by a friend of mine who is, who is Jewish and, you know, practicing Jewish. And she, mm-hmm. like the, the evil character on the back of, of the book has a lot, like has a crooked nose and has dark mm-hmm. hair. And like, and I'm like, there's, you know, it's everywhere. Like it's, it's, it's not like any specific, you know, with maybe some exceptions, I don't think there's any specific, um, intention. It's, it's really the way our, our perceptions have been coded through centuries. So I just want to get that out of the way. I'm not accusing George R. R. Martin of being anti-Semitic or anything like that. Um, that's a very good point. Yeah, that's another thing I was talking with Alex about, that these are just a lot of these images are stuff we associate with childhood stories that have been kind of translated from older, more obviously pernicious stories. Mm-hmm. So the the character that people tend to latch on to a little bit when talking about this, the character that seems to in some ways be George stepping his toes into this pool is Peter Baelish, a.k.a. Littlefinger. Um, so what do you think about about Littlefinger as as a as the portrait of a, a Jewish character or maybe a Jewish coded character is the better way to think about him? Just from my perspective, I do actually see Littlefinger as 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 a fairly easy uh, coding example. Like, I, I mm-hmm. think, you know, I mean, short stature, kind of weaselly. Money, 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 <laughs> power grabbing. Like, I, I, I do think you don't have to work hard to to see a lot of those parallels there. Sure. Yeah, you were talking about yeah, his kind of how he looks. And there's that I was rereading that intro scene in King's Landing when Catelyn first meets him. And there's there's he's um he's got well, George is, you know, he's George is ne- not necessarily consistent with appearance details. So that's right. always something <laughs> to keep in mind. Renly changes eyes. But um Littlefinger is described he's described as a sharp featured so that um I guess doesn't necessarily would doesn't necessarily fit the stereotype. Um but uh he's he's got the um yeah, his size, a small boy and had grown into a small man. And then even more telling in that scene, I think, is he's got he's got the beard. Mm-hmm. Uh he's got he's got the the little pointed chin beard, which I guess, you know, there's also the like George is trying to make him look like Satan, I guess, a little bit in that scene. <laughs> but but there might be some crossover there, uh, as you were saying, you know, the uh some some anti-Semitic images of Jews to try to make them look devilish. So maybe maybe those go hand in hand. You're talking about the the, the money aspect. That's obviously probably the most uh, widespread and pernicious of, of anti-Semitic stereotypes. Uh, is is the endless association with greed, the association with the uh, with the financial stuff. And I, I wanted to to uh, ask you about this. Do you? I mean, because Littlefinger, he doesn't. I mean, there's the uh, there's the common association of of Jews with uh, with loans and with interest and with usury. That was often the association. But with Littlefinger, I feel like he's working in a more modern financial system almost. So I, I was. Do you think? 
I feel like Littlefinger is like is also at times like a stereotype of a Wall Street guy, and those those two stereotypes go kind of weirdly together. I just w- wondered what you thought about that. Yeah, I would definitely view it as more of like the modern version of the like you know oh Jews are wealthy or Jews are in finance or you know all that kind of right, thing. Right, right. Um, then specifically like usury, although I mean like they're you know he's he's in charge of a lot of loans. Uh, you know he's not doing that himself, but he's like right he's arranging a lot of the you know, wh- where the money comes from. And I-, I think, I think of it more as like, as like who's holding the purse strings type thing. Like it's not necessarily his money going to the crown or to other people, but he is the conduit there and kind of an, an unavoidable conduit. Right. And that breeds, that has, that has historically bred resentment, that, that, the, that perception. Although in Littlefinger's case, it hasn't yet, which is interesting. That, yeah, well, that's because George sees him a lot. <laughs> right, right, exactly. That's you can definitely see the thumb on the scale there. That a, a guy like Littlefinger, Tyrion should not be the only one to be suspicious of him um, among his class. Not only because Littlefinger has such financial power, but because he's doing it in ways that are, are not how the nobility typically does it. And I guess that's kind of how how he gets away with it. But yeah, there's that that Tyrion line where he yeah no one had ever thought to question anything that Littlefinger was doing, and why should they? Littlefinger was no threat to anyone. He's a clever, smiling, genial man, everyone's friend, always able to find whatever gold the king or his hand requires. And yet, of such indistinguished birth, one step up from a hedge knight, he was not a man to fear. And so that rereading that that did feel to me like a like a representative kind of outsider feeling where you are. You are you are liked and you are accepted, but you have no foundation. So if you are disliked, it can be over for you in an instant. Mm-hmm, exactly. You know, there, there's there's some shades of like the court Jew in in that. You know, where like you were accepted on you know very specific terms um, and and had power on very specific terms. Um, but something that really like sticks out at me is like the social climbing aspect. The like you're you're in a place where you're not supposed to be. Um, and I, I definitely view that as like part and parcel of like anti-Semitic stereotypes. Um, and right, like the idea that like, I, I feel like, you know, in, in worlds to, to, to discuss it that way, I think, you know, people don't view Littlefinger as a threat, you know, like you said, because he is of such low birth and he's gotten here, but everybody's sort of like, oh, we could shake him off if we don't want him here anymore, you know, which, you know. I mean, honestly, like you could go right for the 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 leech <laughs> symbolism if you want. Right. You know? Right. What I was thinking about is that that's kind of Littlefinger's appeal to them is that he he is of low birth because then they can strip him of power, or they this is how they think about it. They can strip him of power whenever it's convenient. So it's it's, and you can you can see that I think looking at a lot of different societies, especially in in Europe and the the countries that George is inspired by that they can take advantage and 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 of 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 Jews and have them in their businesses but then turn on them in the drop of a hat as soon as it's convenient and as soon as they think they can get some money out of them and right, maybe that's exactly. what they're thinking with maybe that's what they're thinking with Littlefinger that he's he's useful and we can wash our hands of him whereas if like you had uh someone from House Redwine or House Manderley as your master of coins it's harder to get rid of them because they have families who will mm-hmm. you know mess you up but uh, yeah they think of Littlefinger as it's almost like um uh, uh, Thomas Cromwell, uh, who was uh, often uh, suspected by his enemies to be Jewish, 
uh, and how, how kind of he didn't have a, a strong noble house and uh, that kind of made it easier to strip him of power. So that's, I mean, that's why Littlefinger has had to set up kind of alternate uh, foundations of power. And that is where you get into that, like that, that, that paranoia about the purse strings that does feel kind of descended from anti-Semitic paranoia. Yeah. And it, it's so, it's always complicated when you're talking about Littlefinger because like he sucks. You know, like, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I don't want to like be like the Littlefinger defense squad in any right, sense right. of the imagination, but like, yeah, no, you do, you do like... There, there is, I guess, and I, I mean, you guys brought this up when you were discussing Game of Thrones, like, a lot of sympathy that you can have for, like, proto-Littlefinger, like, Littlefinger, his specific, you know, beef with the Tullys, or with Hostra specifically, or, like, the, the, the way society views him are, like, more legitimate, you know, beefs on his part than, like, I need to kill Ned Stark and bring that house down so I can sleep with Catelyn as I deserve to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the something I do think is interesting about his character or a character like uh, Chet, the prologue guy in Storm, who reminds me of Littlefinger in a lot of ways, is that they are... Their, their grievances against the, the system around them are perfectly legitimate, I think. But the problem is, is that the reaction to that is, and that's why I should be in charge of said horrible system. Right. <laughs> Like, you know, Chet lived at the, really, the bottom of the economic ladder. Like, his dad was a, a leech man, talking about the, the leech symbolism. You know, mm. he, he didn't own, even own any land. And, but, you know, Chet's response to that is, is I should be like Craster. That's that's the real model for a man. I'm going to set myself up like that. And with Littlefinger, I think, you know, the the way he was treated by Hoster was, was both the way he both he and Lysa were treated by Hoster, I think, was just callous and shocking. And, but, you know... Littlefinger's response that could be, you know, screw all these people. I'm going to set myself up with my own my own industry over here in, in Goldtown, or I'm going to go back to Bravos. But yeah, it, once, once we actually see him in the series, he's he's a he's taken that that rage out on people who never did anything to him, especially the next generation. And we we uh, we kind of see that that turned around on poor Sansa. Mm-hmm. There's the the, the anti Semitic stereotype of the Jews not being uh, uh, trustworthy in their business practices. And uh, being clever in a negative way and, and ex- ex- exploiting people, I guess we could see that with uh, Littlefinger in the way he in the owning of uh, uh, with his brothels and the way he treats Sansa. Oh yeah, and I mean that of itself, you know, kind of being involved in like sexual economy is is something of a stereotype too. I mean, again, not certainly sure. not exclusive to Jews, but but something that is um, present. I think of it as like just that way of, you know making money however however and and wherever you can and continuing to do that like i you know i feel like there's a certain <laughs> a certain upper class aristocratic view of like you know oh we we don't we don't need to work we don't need to com- like continue making money you right, know right. and like obviously they are because stocks and or you know in the modern time and in in, in this parallel era through just power and land and and all that stuff um and taxes but you know i i i don't think that it's like yeah i I mean sorry i view that as sort of part of that like that you know someone who's like continuing to think about money and like continuing to make money is like there's there's a certain lowness about that that's interesting and it's it's a as you say there's this there's this hypocrisy where they 
they act like they're not continually doing that themselves. Yeah, through the through through taxes, through the, through uh, the management of their land, and it's this 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 double bind where historically, especially in England, often Jews were restricted to the the practice of money lending. The church forbid it for anyone else, and Jews were often banned from many other industries. And then people would turn around and and hold them responsible for that and blame them for that. And and yeah, in in, in Littlefinger's case, it's because there's there's not the explicit uh, anti-Semitic stereotype at work in universe. It's 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 a it's much more the class angle where these all these nobles need a money manager and they, right. they need someone to take care of it for them. And it's it requires yeah it definitely requires I think as you say George needs Littlefinger to stay alive. I think it requires the nobles to be a little less interested in this stuff than maybe they should be. Like uh, the Lannisters, I always felt like you must have someone managing your money at Casterly Rock, right? Like you must have someone overlooking this stuff, reading the books who could tell you that Littlefinger is defrauding you. Yeah, but I learned the word Seneschal specifically for this purpose. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, so that's a case where like, yeah, maybe Littlefinger has to be the the only guy who works the way he does because otherwise there would be someone to catch him. So maybe like George has kind of... Uh, kind of uh, walked backwards his way into, into Littlefinger standing out in this regard. Yeah, but I mean, there's also like the idea that Littlefinger is to some degree working for himself, whereas if you have, you know, like people who who, who run accounts for Winterfell or Casterly Rock, like that they're working for the Lord specifically. And they're That's like, true. you know, they're, they're, they're lucky to get whatever, you know, room and board and attention from the higher ups that like like that's the payment for their for their services as opposed to Littlefinger who has an idea of industry I guess like both subtly and explicitly in certain times um, but I I want to bring up the Bravosi thing um, that because that that actually stuck out to me while we were talking about this that like that sort of it doesn't come up a lot but like there's like the air of like the foreigner and like you're not really from here you just came here you know and that definitely resonates to me but it's interesting that like i don't think i could be wrong but i don't think littlefinger is like accused of being specifically bravosi ever like nobody's like oh that bravosi look or that behavior you know it's just sort of this like part of his mythos that he is partly non-westerosi that's a good point i think it really it only comes up when he talks about it to sansa Mm -hmm. and yeah, for everyone else, it's much more. Yeah, that's just that he comes from from this little tiny little plot of land in the Vale. But people don't uh, seem super aware of it, or if they are, they don't seem to care. But it is a really interesting connection, especially given that the Iron Bank is in Bravos. And you know, I've read I've read out there theories about Littlefinger being an agent of theirs, which I don't think is true. But in both cases, you have that that connection to finance and Bravos. Yeah, is interesting. In this regard, I think there's a lot of ways to think about Bravos, you know, as, as like a kind of a, a Venice or an Amsterdam kind of place. That's obviously the the influence on a lot of the the, the canals and the architecture and so forth. But uh, does do you think it resonates with with this aspect of Littlefinger's character? Do you think that there's a I, I mean, this is a glib way putting it. Do you think there's something Jewish about Bravos and kind of the, <laughs> the emphasis on like an exiled community and being slightly outside things, or is, or am I uh, off the mark on that? I think that's that's. Uh, I mean, this whole conversation is an, is an English literature, an English major conversation. Um, of course, but no, like, you're right. You're right. But yeah, I, I I view that as like kind of more further along the spectrum. Like, yeah, I've definitely okay. I've seen some of that stuff too. But Bravos is so diverse, and like 
so, uh, you know, so eclectic and, and, and kind of non-uniform that as a community, I kind of don't like, like some of their origins, I guess, resonate more with me than like the, the present day experience of Bravos. Okay. That makes sense. That's interesting. I mean, Bravos to me strikes me as like, you know, George, like hinting at the future. Cause there's, there's a kind of a, a renaissance of vibe to the place. Mm-hmm. So, and he's talked about um, that. He's got tons of stuff written in Bravos and uh, that he's got a bunch of Aria chapters that he probably won't use. But I wonder if he would, I wonder if he would be exploring uh, exploring more questions of, of Jewish representation or, or Jewish coded characters in those chapters. Um, but we've already seen some of Bravos, and like you say, it's, it's such a diverse place. Yeah, I mean, if you want to make the kind of nefarious comparison, you definitely could be like the okay. the, the bankers and the assassins, like the l- people who control money and life are, you know, based in Bravos and are, are creepy and, and old and, you know, puppet string pulley apparently but like i don't think there's quite enough text to really back that up it's it's yeah yeah it's degrees removed like you say that's it's yeah it definitely has that that quality to it and yeah i mean what you're saying about little finger you know working for himself and working you know at least even officially just working for the crown it's it's it interests me because like that really that defines everyone on the small council because they all the ones who are still there most of them were around during the targaryens era too and yet here they still are working for the Baratheons. And so there's just kind of like this, this ship jumping aspect. And that, yeah, that often seems like it's easy to, uh, it's, that's, that's easier for people to see with someone like Littlefinger because he's got that outsider status. But really they're all, I mean, Pycelle had to change his identity overnight too. And so mm-hmm. did Varus, like, you know, into, into being Baratheon loyalists now. And they're all kind of, they're all kind of having to, to redefine the status quo that Littlefinger is outside. Like that, that status quo was constantly changing too, but they just kind of have to have to always have a kind of inner inner outer marker. And maybe that yeah. you know, Littlefinger. A lot of what drives him is the sense that the system is hypocritical, and that's something we see in a lot of characters too, uh, like like Sandor and, and a bunch of other ones. Yeah, that I mean, that feels like a yeah, more kind of kind of kind of kind of modern aspect to to Littlefinger's less, a screw the system talk. Um, but it, yeah, so much of a kind of kind of just falls back on his own selfishness. Well, yeah, I mean, Littlefinger's not trying to... You don't get the sense with Littlefinger that he wants to empower other people like him, do you? Oh, no. Yeah, no. No, no, no. But it's, I mean, for me, Littlefinger wants one thing, and that's Sansa willingly in his bed, and mm-hmm. all parts of that sentence are important. Um, yep. But, like, I, I, yeah, I, um, I don't think that... Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about the 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 kind of the more romantic and obsession aspect with Littlefinger. Do you think that ties into this at all? I mean, for me, that feels more like George doing the flipping chivalry on his head thing he likes so much. But there is that you know, aspect of Littlefinger being younger and smaller and beaten up by Brandon Stark, the image of muscled like a maiden's fantasy. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I do see it more in the earlier generation, like the idea of mm. like, you know, the, 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 the employee, you know, the, 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 social climbing employee who falls in love with the boss's, you know, shiksa daughter, um, like that kind of <laughs> thing. Um, again, it's, it's a loose parallel. It's, it's, and it's very well justified by the events of the story. Like I don't, um, I don't consider that one of the, one of the glaring things that stands out to me, but I, I, I see some of it. Um, the Sansa stuff, I don't know. Again, that's, that's such a step away already because it's so set up by the story and so grounded in his character. Um, 
I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't put that on, on my list. I hear you. Do you think, what do you, I was, uh, what do we, what do you think about, uh, Illyrio in this regard? He's another character that I see people bring up in terms of, uh, uh, uh stereotypes within the series. Cause he's, he's, uh, he's also got, got the merchant outsider thing going on. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some of that, like, I, it's hard to say. Like, I feel like Illyrio is still like a little bit kind of a, of a mystery, you know? And like, that's true. The, we would need to learn more. Yeah, the true faces he shows are not necessarily, or the faces he shows are not necessarily true. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess I guess the idea of like kind of selling Danny into slavery, <laughs> sure, right? <laughs> you know, not 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 super, you know, not disconnected. Um, again, not like an A to B uh, parallel, but like there there's some uncomfortable stuff there but i go, i also you know i i don't want to say like people can't write merchants or can't write people right, can't right. write bad no. merchants or you know exactly um, and we're both big fans of the series like you say we're not accusing george of anything it's just it's just interesting to see where how these images kind of trickle down from from yeah, his inspiration and where that stereotype does does come up um i mean i guess another thing about illyrio is he's kind of on his own turf True. so that's a different perspective because like the idea of like the foreigner or a foreigner or the someone who's who's not supposed to be here, you know, is, um, I think a prevalent theme, um, with anti-Semitism and Illyrio kind of doesn't, doesn't have that. I mean, heck, even when he shows up in the Red Keep with Varys, he's walking around like he owns the place. So. Right. That's true. <laughs> and yeah, and he's got his own, he's got his own little puppet prince, but like Littlefinger, there isn't really a sense of social revolution going on. And that's something I was thinking about also often associated uh, with put in both positive and negative ways, I guess with Jews is the kind of more the more intellectual and the more kind of social revolutionary and Marxist strain of thought, mm-hmm. and that's something uh, I guess we don't we don't really see in a in a Song of Ice and Fire. Like little, I mean, just think about Littlefinger. Like he's not bookish, which is interesting. Like you don't ever get the sense of him reading a lot, like Tyrion, or you know, quoting a lot of great thinkers. And the more kind of revolutionary aspects in a Song of Ice and Fire come from actually come from the and, and westeros come from the brotherhood and, and the more relorite stripe um so yeah i guess we don't unless i'm forgetting something we don't really see that kind of paranoia in the series the uh yeah the stuff that's become cultural marxism in the modern day yeah uh, again i do think the fear is like people will take your stuff away but keep it <laughs> you know not give it to other right. people <laughs> right exactly and there's, I think, a couple things at work, right, when Littlefinger's talking about painting over his shield, because that also feels like a like a classic, like, immigrant narrative um, mm-hmm. of the kind that happens with, with a lot of different people. But so he's, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of like the, um, I don't know, do you think there's kind of something like American there, like the, the, or the, the, the American dream? Is it stereotyped the self-made immigrant thing? Do you think that's going on with Littlefinger? I mean, yeah, a little bit, for sure. Like, I, I definitely think there's the the social climber, the the self-made person. Uh, I, I, I definitely see that with Littlefinger. Um, yeah. I, I, <laughs> when you said the, the American dream thing, I'm, I found it really ironic that the, the Titan of Bravos is in Bravos. <laughs> you know, it's like the Statue of Liberty is in Bravos. That's true. Exactly. <laughs> all these people came empire. from. Yeah. Right. That's true. It's in reverse. That's funny. Yeah. And then there's, well, I was also thinking about him, in terms of uh, gender, because I think there is there is the uh, often 
especially in uh, in America and England, I think there's a stereotypical image of masculinity that I think is in contrast to the stereotypical image of a Jewish man. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's going on a little bit with Littlefinger because he is... Like he, yeah, as you said, his his size is often emphasized. His clothes, his his, his bright, colorful clothes. He, uh, do you think it's fair to say he's more? Do you think George is going for a deliberate contrast there between him and like the the big tough guys like Brandon? Oh yes, a hundred percent. Like I, I, I definitely that that if I had a list, that would be high on my list of okay of like Jewish signifiers of Littlefinger, especially because he is such a contrast to everyone else, um, and yet is powerful. You know, again, there's the there's the feeling of like you're not supposed to be powerful. You're not supposed, you know, you're not right. Like, and and that's that's a theme throughout the series. Obviously, like Brienne is not supposed to be powerful. For him, there's a certain perniciousness in that that I I definitely pick up. And I mean, like you can make David and Goliath parallels all you want if you're talking about the, that particular duel. Right, right. Um, that's interesting. I wouldn't necessarily because again, Littlefinger sucks. But you know. <laughs> Um, physicality in general is, I feel like, one of the big tip-offs. There's a lot of things that can be, um, not not that physicality can't be justified by a story, but I feel like that's a more arbitrary choice of an author than, you know, than than somebody's status or their their goals or you know, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Do you think uh, do you think Littlefinger's story is going to end similarly in the, in the books as to the show? Ooh, oh man. I don't know. I like I hope I hope the ultimate ending is the same. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um ignominious death. That's 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 Best great. Part of season 7. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um my my personal wish for Littlefinger is that he uh dies of a of a mundane illness that he just can't shake. And he knows he's dying. Like I can I I I really savor the image of like a little finger who who knows that he is being taken out by this minor pathogen and can't do anything about it <laughs> and is just fully conscious as he loses strength and people stop listening to him and you know. Um I don't think it will be that uh, mundane, probably. Um and it is George, so who knows? Like maybe one of the bad guys who makes it out in the end is Littlefinger. I don't think so, but it could happen. Um but yeah, I don't I don't think it'll be the same scene, but I I do hope that there will there will be some, I guess Stark sister, co coexistence that was unfairly forced upon us to be right. needed. To be honest, because that whole plot, I'm sorry, like no, that was guess, that was the happiest yeah. bit for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, it was a satisfying conclusion. And yeah, I think because I do, especially as you go through feast, that ends up being clearly the kind of the the central focus of what George is doing with Littlefinger is, is how it's going to uh, play into Sansa's arc. Do you think that it's going to be resolved kind of purely on those terms? Do you think, do you think some of what we're talking about here with Littlefinger is going to play into how that conclusion reaches? Or do you think like uh, how he was treated is going to, I mean, not be a factor in his fate, but do you think Sansa will consider that or take that as a lesson or do you, or, or do you think it's going to be pretty, pretty purely, purely focused on the death? Um, I like that question because it has to do with Sansa's like emotional arc and, and growth. I, I really could see it going both ways where, you know, on the one hand, she's just kind of like, you know, the, the Ned Stark version where it's like, you did this crime, you must die. Mm-hmm. 
I don't have many feelings about it. Um, you know, yes, I just cut off an innocent boy's head. What? What of it? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, which is, you know, a different topic, but something I think that is, is worth talking about some of the stark to- toxicity in that way. Um, or or I could see it going the Joffrey way, you know, where it's like in a, a person who is bad and you're not sad that they are dying is nevertheless helpless in a moment. And you you recognize their humanity and some of what pushed them to that point where they became so odious. So. Yeah. And that, that helplessness, I think, is key because that's what Littlefinger felt with Brandon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously he's not a POV, but my guess would be that so much of what he's doing is to try to avoid ever feeling like that again. Oh, like, yeah. It's control, control, control. Like, that's why he freaks out so much when Tyrion fools him. Not just because he makes Littlefinger look stupid, although that's part of it, but, like, Littlefinger suddenly had something he wasn't in charge of and the ex- the uh, outcome was unknown. And I bet it, I bet it felt like that duel again. And... Yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder if there's going to be an because Sansa is, is so uh, similar to Catelyn in so many ways, and I wonder if I wonder if that's going to factor into how she thinks about it. That like that 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 feeling of powerlessness is something to try to avoid, and that it's you want people to be able to have a, a stable foundation, and that the the connection between between Littlefinger and some of what we've been talking about is this feeling of rootlessness. And not being, not being seen as as a part of your society in the sense that it can all be taken away from you. And maybe, maybe Sansa or other characters will will strive to avoid that feeling when they deal with people. Yeah, I mean, I think it would speak better of Sansa if she recognized that feeling and its origins, and you know, still gave Littlefinger the justice he deserved, but. You know, but but that's the big question about Sansa, right? Like, is is she is she going down the like I'll just poison Sweet Robin, not a problem, you know, route, or is she going down the like ah oh, maybe I have to do this, but I feel bad about it, and I'm gonna try and do differently another time, and you know all all that stuff, which is personally why I want wins. Right, but- of course, of course. <laughs> um, one other character I actually just wanted to raise briefly. Yeah. Um, is Rigo Draws from yeah. the yeah um, from the Fire and Blood um, compendium book thing, um, and I don't want to go too much into it, but he he definitely is a really interesting, um, more positively viewed from the point point of view I think of the narrative um, character than than Littlefinger is. Like I, I'll I'll he's very close to. Um, Jaharis like Jaharis values him like crazy. He is also a foreigner. He came from very low um, uh, beginnings. He has a strange religion that people don't really understand. That seems to be somewhat monotheistic. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll just read this paragraph from the wiki. Um, However, Draz quickly grew to be as unpopular as his predecessor on account of his alleged corruption, his religion, his ancestry, his wealth, and his foreign origins. Uh, (laughs) I'm just like, oh, okay, that rings. And then, yeah, he's, he's murdered because, um, during the harsh winter and the ensuing plague of the shivers, famine set in throughout the seven kingdoms. 
Uh, so whose fault is it that we're sad and hungry? Um, right. Yeah, there's that day, scapegoating aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One day as he was traveling in his palanquin through Flea Bottom, Rigo came upon a starving mob who became enraged at the sight of him. They dragged him from his palanquin and killed him, blaming him as a foreigner for bringing the plague to Westeros. Yep. As Right. As a foreigner, they'll always uh, they'll find someone to blame. Yeah. And that that's that's an interesting distinction because it's not like I think even even the narrative in in the book hmm. makes it pretty clear it's it's not like a high septon you know um mob parallel or it's I mean there's some of that but it's not exactly that um like it is in Clash of Kings uh, I think it's it it definitely notes that like they were specifically pissed at him because he was a weird foreigner who they thought was you know stealing the money and whatever right right yeah, that's true. Part of me wonders if if George is getting some xenophobia ready for Danny. Yeah, <laughs> ready right. for, for oh, how God. people in Westeros <laughs> are, are are gonna deal with 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 Danny uh, uh, coming over. But yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, what what really seems to interest George in terms of the historical pattern is is these these waves of people coming over from Essos, but it's always it's always organized. It's always like the Andals getting together. The Roin are getting together, and then with the characters we're talking about, they're they're just they're lone wolves, you know, mm-hmm. Littlefinger and Illyrio. So it's they, they, it, there isn't there's not quite the same cultural backdrop to what they're doing, and in some ways that does that does kind of fit with with the stereotypes we're talking about that uh, that Jews are seen as as uh, as predators come over and and lone wolves operating in our country. But I am I would would be curious to see. Uh, uh, George, ex- 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 explore a Jewish or Jewish coded characters at length against a, against their own cultural backdrop. You know that that idea of an outsider of a of a of an underdog is very George. True. So it 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 would be interesting to see how he would kind of combine those two things. I, I don't know. Like he was also on uh, the the Know Your Roots or whatever or Who Are You Really show. And he apparently has Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry. So who knows? Maybe he'll be more interested in that going forward. But like, th- there is also the sort of thing where I'm just like, ah, it's fine. <laughs> just, just, just keep going where you're going. Like, don't, don't, don't stress. Don't strain yourself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a fair distinction. I think is like, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about the story as just a framework as a way to talk about these issues. But then, it, you know, yeah, who knows what impact that's going to have on George R. R. Martin at that abacus he calls a computer. I just, right. I just hope he keeps, <laughs> I just hope he keeps tapping it out. And we get to, we get to Sansa in Winterfell and Littlefinger yeah. with his throat cut. <laughs> exactly. Um, I guess the last thing I would just say is like, I know a lot of the um, listeners are really smart content creators and writers and stuff like that. And like, you know, these are just stereotypes to be aware of when you're creating a fantasy world and or even a you know a non-fantasy world so you know go forth write wisely etc exactly yeah i think always always be interested i think in where your your images and your instincts come from and you know i think that everyone's going to have a different answer to that question and the process is going to lead you to a different place but i think that's that's just always something important to keep in mind for sure mm-hmm. so uh, thank you so much Mel, for coming on the coming on the the not a cast we had a great time with you uh, on the regular cast when we did that aria chapter back in Clash. That was so much fun. I uh, <clears throat> would love to have you come on to, for Storm once we get Jeff back. So uh, thank you so oh, much I for coming to. on in between, though. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. So uh, where can people uh, find your stuff? 
Uh, so I am primarily, although trying to wean off it on Twitter, uh, as <laughs> well Ink <said>. Azrain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, that's I-N-K-A-S-R-A-I-N. Uh, and I do the Vassals of Kingsgrave podcast, which is a uh, community podcast where we initially started talking about Song of Ice and Fire, and now we talk about everything. Um, I am on the uh, Level 7 Access podcast, which is a kind of Marvel, Star Wars, Disney discussion podcast, and the Nice Jewish Fangirls podcast, which has been on hiatus for a while, but we are trying to get that back up, and that is... Like it says on the tin, we are nice Jewish fangirls. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's great. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, as always, you can rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to us. You can check out our Patreon if you haven't already at patreon.com slash notacast, A-S-O-I-A-F, where folks get early access to our episodes, bonus episodes. I've been doing some Lord of the Rings episodes while Jeff is away, so you can check those out. You can follow us on Twitter at notacast, A-S-O-I-A-F, or shoot us an email at notacastasoiaf at gmail.com. So uh, thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week.